Hey, and welcome to the Clocked In Creative, a podcast for creatives in business made by creatives in business. Brought to you by the University of Georgia here in beautiful Athens, Georgia. I'm your host, Seth Hendershot. And today we will be tackling or attempting to tackle the very broad, often confusing topic of intellectual property or IP, as the kids say. More specifically, protecting your intellectual property. With us is the very knowledgeable former entertainment attorney turned contract negotiator, Michelle Davis. Michelle, welcome. Hello, Seth. Good to be here. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, So before we jump into the topic stuff, um, back in the day, I knew you as the Cracker Jack music editor of Local Rag, the flagpole here in Athens. Um, Maybe give us a little background of what led you into like down the law path. Sure. So um, I came to Athens, it'll be 20 years this fall, uh, 20 years ago, and always had an interest in the music industry just as a super fan. Dad was a musician. I wanted to be like a uh, counselor to artists in some way. I was interning on radio stations, record labels, with publicists, had my own PR firm at a time, was writing about music, worked at a ticket box office company. So I saw the industry from all sides and the IP issues that kept coming up really fascinated me. You know, when I started undergrad, this was a time of like Napster and all the, mm. the beginning of digital music litigation. And that was the first time I thought, what is intellectual property? And why are these artists mad about people just accessing the songs that they love? Aren't these just fans <laughs> that want to hear the music? Uh, why is Metallica suing everybody? Um, so that sort of piqued my interest and decided to go to law school to better serve as a as a counselor for artists and kind of help help them navigate these murky waters and it's a it's a particular in the music industry it is very convoluted and confusing to sort through all the rights so um, started my own entertainment law practice after law school did that for about four years and then got pulled over to university of georgia to take on a job there but um, ip issues still come up every day as i'm reviewing those contracts as well so it really goes into kind of every aspect of business yeah yeah and I know that you still do some like consulting on the side for friends or you know musicians that you I try to help out on a pro bono level and and try to support there's a great organization called Georgia Lawyers for the Arts which I'm sure I'll plug a number of times uh, today so artists don't feel like money is a barrier to getting good legal help. They can access this amazing nonprofit and they'll pair you up with an attorney to help uh, you work through you know, your legal questions, contract review, what have you. Nice, that's so excellent. It seems like there's more and more organizations popping up in support of artists of, of every facet of art, um, uh, like Music Cares and, and, and things like that, um, just to kind of help out because it is, uh, not a lucrative lot in life, but an important one, certainly. Um, so uh, I guess just for everybody, just so everybody's on the same page, maybe we can go through sort of what is intellectual property, what it means. I mean, there's a thousand YouTube videos on, on that topic, but um, it'd be nice to hear it from someone who really knows. Sure. So intellectual property versus real property, which is, you know, a house, a guitar, something that you own that's valuable to you. If someone takes it away, you will lose something and you know, they will get in trouble. Um, it's not that much different, except intellectual property are just uh, things that you have created. They're creative works. And I think the best way to 
define them as really just to go through a list of some of the different kinds of intellectual property. And they're kind of grouped into categories, roughly. Biggest category, especially in terms of what artists might work in, is um, the kinds of intellectual property that are protected by copyright. So that is uh, visual works, painting, photography, uh, drawing, uh, its songs, the lyrics and music that make up a composition, the recording of that song, which is actually a separate copyright, um, the, a book, a story, a poem, all these kinds of creative works. Those are protected by copyright. Those are all intellectual property. There's also the kinds of IP that are protected by trademark law, and that is business names, logos, slogans. They serve a different purpose in that protecting trademark is all about preventing confusion in the marketplace. Right. So it's more about consumers having being able to confidently buy goods or services because they know where they're coming from. They know if they see, you know, Jittery Joe's, that that's the coffee that comes from Athens that they love and they know what, what it's going to taste like. When, you know, right. but, um, There's also patent law. So that's another kind of intellectual property law that governs uh, inventions, procedure, procedures, things like that. And then finally, there's a sort of more nebulous one, which is trade secret. And it's more like information that is valuable to an organization that um, that they don't want out in the public. So like my nitro coffee recipe. The nitro, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of intellectual property is generally protected through um, contracts, individual right. contracts. So you might be familiar with non-disclosure agreements or for that term or NDA an NDA as the kids yeah call it. acronyms yeah. for everything <laughs> here just to give one quick music example when I had my law practice I drafted an NDA for a media company that was uh, signed by their interns in particular because they well I guess it could be used for any a lot of employment agreements have uh, might have some NDA component but they didn't really have anything for their interns coming on board. And by working with the company, they'd find out things like uh, what artists maybe have releases coming up, uh, what it sounds like. Um, and so, you know, certainly there's copyright issues where you're not allowed to leak the actual song. You don't have the rights to send that sound out, song out, uh, put on the internet. But also, they don't want people just letting, they don't, they want to leverage the full impact of a good PR campaign by. Right. You know, controlling when the information gets out, so they don't want people blabbing about who's releasing what, what's coming down the line. So, especially in the age of social media, exactly, where, yeah, it's right, readily right. available. That's one way that they protected that kind of information. Oh, okay, wow. Um, so, so many facets to it, but as a, as like a, more to the, to the, um, I guess, vibe of this podcast with creatives in business. Um, that would be more, I mean, I guess trade, that would sort of uh, cross the line of trademark and copyright because there are things that are um, artistically created uh, that need to be copywritten. And then there are, you know, names of business, branding, logos, things like right. that, that need to have the trademark on them. Um, what, what sort of, like, what is, what are some things people need to know about their rights to their own intellectual property? Because it's, it's so... It always seems whenever you're talking about it with a layman, like somebody that's not in the creative world or not in the business world or both, um, they often uh, tend to 
undervalue people's mm. ideas and things like that. Um, and I think that's really tough on a, especially somebody who's doing something like a, like a fashion designer, like they come up with a color pattern and a pattern for a, I don't know, a, a jumper or a t-shirt or something like that. And, um, you know, without those things in place could easily be robbed by some big business with all the money to do it. Um, especially if it catches fire, like if it starts to take off, um, what, what do they need to know about like their rights to intellectual property? Like you, you don't have to have a lawyer on retainer. There are services and, and things that they can sure. seek out. So we can talk about the rights that are exclusive to copyright holders or trademark owners uh -huh. and then how to enforce those rights is maybe two sides of it. First of all, so I, I guess you're, your rights depend on the kind of intellectual property we're discussing is, is what I guess I'm getting to. Sure. So with copyright, for example, um, first of all, in the U.S., as soon as you fix a work, that's the copyright lingo. In other words, you write down the song lyrics or you record the song or you draw the picture when it's fixed in sort of a tangible medium, the copyright is created and you own that copyright and you're the exclusive copyright owner. Um, or if you're, you know, you're working with somebody, you could jointly own copyright in something. And you're saying without any kind of registration or anything. Like I remember when I was a kid, this is in the 90s dated, um, uh, the poor man's copyright was when you write a song, write down the lyrics, date that piece of paper, <laughs> put it in an envelope yep. and mail it to yourself. I knew, I knew that was going to come up because this is like the, one of the most longstanding myths in copyright. Yeah, talk so, to me. So, okay, so. Have I been lied to? You have, you have, <laughs> but there, there's some value in that, but I'll explain where that came from and the difference. So you own the copyright as soon as the work's created. However, if you want to sue somebody for infringing your copyright, you have to have a copyright registration okay. with the copyright office. And um, no substitute will do. You have to have this actual registration with the copyright office. Um, the idea behind mailing it to yourself, I think, was just to have something that's sort of time-stamped. Like a postmark, yeah. Like a postmark, so it said this existed at this time. But now with digital media, there's a million other ways to show evidence of something existing at sure. a certain time. Um, so it could be valuable in that way, but the bottom line is if you want the full benefits that come with having something registered, which is being able to enforce your copyright, they say they say copyright is the keys to the courthouse, is mm. the kind of lingo. So. Um, you need to go to the copyright, copyright.gov and register the copyright. And I've had um, at least one client that was duped by some other website out there saying, you know, just pay us $5 a month and we'll uh, put your name in our database of copyright owners. And it's sort of misleading and it feels like a thing, and it's, but it's just like mailing a song to yourself. Right. It's some other database. It's not a copyright office not registration. Not a recognized right. thing. Yeah, man. So that's, so that's copyright. Um, and there's, other, there's benefits of registering early. You definitely want to have that registration before somebody potentially infringes because you can get more money out of them, basically. Mm. Um, there's other remedies. Trademark is a little different. And trademark's a little bit more complex, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. But um, trademark, you, you can enforce without having a trademark registration, but it's limited in geography usually. So just by virtue of owning a business, let's say in Georgia for a long time, and someone else comes to Georgia and they try to set up shop 
in the same industry with a, a similar name or the same name, you might be able to stop them. Hmm. But it just sort of depends. There's a lot of caveats. The main benefit to a trademark registration is federal or you know nationwide sort of enforcement. The other thing about trademark that I think a lot of people don't understand um, unless they work in the industry is that it's tied very specifically to a, a type of good or service. So that's why you can have Delta Airlines and Delta faucets, and there's no issue right. because it again comes back to confusion in the marketplace, and those are real different, and people aren't confusing the two. Right. But it's also why Apple Records existed and Apple Computer existed co coexisted without conflict until Apple Computers got into the music industry huh. and started, you know. Um, iTunes releasing music, music players, and then there was all kinds of litigation and back and forth and settlements and wow and issues. So I remember when that was going on. Yeah, yeah and so you when you register your trademark, you have the name and you have uh, the type of good or service that it's associated with, and you have to actively be using it. So you can't just say, you know, uh, it'd be really cool to have a record label called Michelle's. Bells, I don't know. <laughs> that, that actually wouldn't be cool at all. But <laughs> I would totally buy a record from Michelle's Bells. <laughs> all right. It's all just like bell instruments, chimes. Um, and so I can't just go to, you know, USPTO, register that trademark, and then wait for someone else to use it and, and jump on it. So it's not like a domain name. No, although that's... Eat up domain names. Yeah, there's issues with uh, sitting on domain names too, but... Um, if you don't use it, you lose it. Okay. And you have to show, when you register a trademark, you have to say either this is being currently used in commerce, is how they they define it, or you have the intent to use it. And you have to show proof of it, like you send pictures of your logo on a storefront or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's always backlash when like someone like um, Taylor Swift gets a trademark for maybe one of her lyrics. Like, I don't know that this is one she actually registered, but like, um, there's a song she said, and shake it off. Player's gonna play or something, you know? She trademarked player's I, I gonna play? I, I, this is an example. I don't know if she used that specific one, okay. but I know there was a, there was a lyric, and I meant to look it up. The, let's moves, say, just as Taylor. an example, let's say she registered that one because she's gonna have merchandise with that phrase. Sure. Or even shake it off, let's say. Yeah. And um, people are like, oh, so I guess you can't say that anymore. You can't uh, put that on a shirt. And that's not true it's going to be specific to the types of goods that it's registered for and it's not just about the slogan it's about again the source so she has to show there's a strong enough connection to that phrase in her as a business entity that people when they see something with that phrase on it they're like oh this is a taylor swift shirt this is a taylor swift keychain or whatever and who determines that well i mean the trademark office first when you register it and that's the other difference between these two types of IP copyright office to register copyright. It's a really low bar of entry. It has to be, they don't, they don't do a lot of investigation. Um, but trademark, there's a lot of hoops to go through to prove that this is original. Huh. Um, so, you know, copyright, you can kind of do yourself if you are the kind of person who does you know the, the hand holding is there on the copyright office website if you're the kind of person who is detail oriented and will read all the little you know more about this <laughs> you know, for, all the yeah. fine print yeah you can do it especially if it's something that you solely own um, trademark uh, you really need a legal counsel to help you um, if nothing else to do a clearance search first and make sure that you're not wasting a bunch of money applying when 
you don't actually get it because you're not going to get that money back. Oh, wow. So um, That's good to know. Yeah, it's a, it's a much more complicated um, process because it, it's a different bar. Um, just going between, like, as far as um, what people can expect, like what their rights are to their intellectual property, I think you were on a good roll there because, um, and maybe, maybe that's a point to get back to copyright because, I mean, <clears throat> creatives in business, artists doing business, and that, that's such a broad spectrum of people because it's, it's not only musicians and uh, visual artists and, um, you know, novel writers, but it's also fashion designers and, you know, people who design cocktails and, and things like that. Like all of that is creatively enhanced and all of that is people trying to make money off of their creative ideas. So there, it, it, it's a really tough conversation to have about just one or the other like in some cases you need both in some cases you just need one right and 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 some some types of ideas or concepts are much are harder to protect than others because in general you can't copyright or trademark an idea only an expression of that idea right um and things like recipes for example are really hard to protect well and that's so, what you were saying the nebulous what was that like the a trade secret trade for secret example, thing. it could yeah. fall under there or i've had um i had a client uh for example that created a sort of a um a summer camp program and they put it on and then the the venue where they they put all this time and, and money into developing this program. After they did it once, the venue was like, cool, now we can do this ourselves. Right. Bye. Thanks for showing us. Thanks for showing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you have sort of non-compete clauses and contract that you could do. Uh, or you just really make your trademark strong because then, you know, sure, anybody could make a cocktail. But if we know Seth makes the best and you have a trademark for your brand and your business. It's got a specific name. You and got a name for it yeah. and people know to go to you or to the source um, for a, a product or a service that they trust. Right. So uh, you, you, you might have to work at it that way. Um, otherwise you're relying on everybody's moral character. Right. Which clearly <laughs> you can't doesn't always, always come through. And, it, and there's, I mean, <laughs> There's also good reason for the law to work this way, right? Because you don't want to to freeze creativity by pe everyone being scared of being sued all the time. Right. Um, so you don't want there to be exclusivity on an idea when different people could execute it in different ways yeah. or improve upon it. So there has to be some balance between protecting someone's exclusive rights and incentivizing people to be creative and then protecting that ex exclusivity. But uh, before we actually, something else that you you mentioned when we talk about protecting your rights down the, down the road, it's not just about um, necessarily enforcing against infringers. You also have to think about all the potential royalty streams that come with just owning IP. Right. So um, in music in particular, because there's so many different rights, there's the recording and the composition, publishing versus the uh, master recording, uh, being familiar with who gets paid and when and by whom. So uh, sure, register your songs at the copyright office, but and also if you're releasing music into the world, make sure you have a relationship with a performance rights organization like BMI, CSAC, ASCAP, well, my question there is, and I don't know how how 
much i mean we don't need to go into this too far but like how does an organization like that exist like how does it come into who started ascap who started bmi who started csac how do they you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. who sanctions that they well bmi and ascap started at the dawn of radio okay i believe um because the radio stations needed the rights or maybe it was before radio it could have even been so i think if i'm remembering my history correctly so Publishers originally just got music for sheet music being distributed, and it was a little bit easier to control. And I, and then when radio kind of entered this golden age, they had to get the rights from all these publishing companies for the compositions once it was determined that they needed those rights. And it just became so tedious to negotiate with every single songwriter or publisher, whoever owned the rights. And so the publishing companies came together, the publishers came together, to be able to negotiate as a group for better impact. So now the radio stations could pay one flat fee and have access to all of their their whole repertoire, essentially. And then all those companies would just pay out accordingly, depending on sales percentage, how many registrations they had, whatever. One PRO is is nonprofit, the other one isn't. There's some distinctions between them. The, The newest one was started by a record label mogul um so you have to have money and resources is is how those things start uh and it's really just a banding together um on the other hand there's like sound exchange which is a similar sort of a rights organization and that was actually created through legislation because we created a new right um to pay recording artists for the digital performance of their music like through um satellite radio for example yes um and so they created this organization uh, to collect those rights on okay. behalf of the recording artists and distribute them. So, but it's not automatic. So if you're a recording artist, you need to have a PRO, you need to register at Sound Exchange. If you're a songwriter, you're also, and you don't have a publishing company, look for a company, um, a third party that can help you collect mechanical royalties. Some Harry Fox Agency does that in the US. So there's all these kind of middlemen and, and distribution, you know. A lot of hands in the pie. A lot of hands in the pie and also yeah. a, little, a lot of revenue streams you want to make sure that you are, are uh, taking advantage of and it's actually making its way to you. So on the other side of that, another important way to enforce your rights is through metadata. And so this is the information that's actually embedded in a digital recording. This is... I'm sure it's relevant to visual artists too. I'm more familiar with it with sound recording, but basically um, it can come at usually the mastering stage of recording a song. The engineer can put in, so it'll be like the name of the song, the name of the artist. Okay, And you wanna make sure that information is accurate because a lot of, to make sure that you get paid when it's downloaded or streamed or shared and it's traceable. It's like um, Lojack you. for your song. Yeah, that's nice. exactly right. And uh, there's because there's a lot of issues when people release music out into the internet and they misspelled their name on it. They there might be plays that aren't getting tracked correctly. So um, make sure that information's right. Sometimes you go through a third party distributor and they ask you to manually put in that information when you upload it. So right. make sure that's correct. For visual artists, think about what you're putting out on the internet, um, maybe not your a high-res download of your work, but maybe you present your photographs through an album where 
uh, people can't right click and download or something yeah, like that. Yeah, well, the, the the Getty images and the sample, like the those sort of watermarks that watermarks, they put on yeah, there, are helps. huge. And and I guess I guess uh, painters or you know people who do any kind of sculpting or anything like that, like if they're putting their stuff out there or taking pictures of it and uploading it they could potentially do the same thing yeah maybe? sure and i mean obviously none of this is foolproof any kind of right. digital security you create there's someone's going to work around it so you there's can't hucksters out there you can't stop them but you don't want to make you, you can don't want to make it easy for them either right. and on the flip side of that remember if you are using someone else's um, intellectual property that you need to have the correct license so um, there's seems to be a misconception where people feel like if they just Google something and it's on the internet, it's there for the taking because they can. And oh, yeah. it's so easy. But there is a copyright owner on the other side of that. And unless they explicitly say this is Creative Commons, you can share this, I give you permission, you cannot share that image. They have that exclusive right. 100% um, they do. Yeah, I used they, an image on our webpage to promote a show one time. And woo, Getty came after me. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Yeah, especially if it's owned by someone litigious like that. Yeah. And there's there's traps out there too, um, all kinds of copyright trolls where they have a license that says, hey, free to use, even for business, and then small print, but you must uh, put a link to our website or you must credit the author. And I've had clients that say like, I, I got this through a search, I looked specifically for things that are free and available for use mm -hmm. on commerce, but they didn't put the, the credit, and so they could claim infringement and scare them into or whatever. yeah, yeah. Uh, threaten them with a lawsuit unless they settle and even if even if there's fair use involved which that's a whole other hour we could get into um <laughs> even if i'm exhausted i know even if there's rights you know even if, if even if it's a false claim it's still expensive and time consuming to defend so uh -huh. you just the only way to make sure you have the rights is to actually get the rights just and have a proper license right. yeah. Yeah. wow um, man, that's a lot. It's a lot to think about. And so the basic gist, um, or, you know, certainly a big takeaway is that there are multiple ways to protect intellectual property. It really just depends on what property we're talking about. Um, where you said copyright is like a song, a painting, a novel, a poem, things that are written down and, and, um, or, or, you know, images that are taken, whereas trademark is more for uh, logos and business names and things like that. You know, if that guy trademarked the name Dab, then he might have some kind of case. But then you'd have to explain what the Dab is. He would have to have pictures of he, So if he trademarked dabbing. the word Dab, it would have, I don't know what um, good or service he would connect that to. Maybe as a, there's not like a trademark I for see. a move. Okay. So maybe if he was a, choreographer and his choreography business was dab or something like right, that right. but then he could only enforce it against really another choreographer who said i'm the i'm the dab creator or something right it would it have to be tied with a certain industry so even within trademark i don't know that that you could do it that reminds me though trademark another ca fun thing about trademark law is that you actually have to enforce your rights in order to keep the trademark that's another um, rule about owning, uh, maintaining a trademark. So not only do you have to actively be using it in business, so if you start a business and then you shut down, you can't have that trademark forever. Um, do you have to renew it? 
you renew it every few years, um, and then you also have to show that you're enforcing it. So if, because someone could say, um, you know, let's say uh, you have a business, Michelle's Bells is back in action, and Finally. there's, you know, like 10 other Michelle's Bells, and I just let it go, and then someone else does it, and I kind of get annoyed with it, I go after them, say, hey, that's mine, and they'll say, yeah, but look, everyone has that name there's 10 other one names it's not unique to you anymore right and you've never enforced it so you could lose some of your trademark rights so if you want to be able to maintain it you have to actually enforce it and go after it actively um, and that's really hard to do as a business owner because yeah. you're running your business so that's the kind of thing where it helps to have a team and it's why i mean you know the big companies are really hawkish and they're actively looking for registrations that pop up that are any remotely similar. Um, you know, in trademark, again, it's about confusion. So it doesn't have to be the exact same name. It's not like there's some magic secret where you just change one letter and it's like different. If the logo is close enough that there might be confusion, it could be an infringement. Okay. Um, and it, and in copyright, similarly, some people think like, uh, if I sample just a little bit or just 10 seconds or just 30 seconds, that's fine. But there's no magic number. Ah. Um, there's no magic, this amount or less is not infringement. So you have to be really careful because it ultimately will end up being a decision for the court to make if it was more than a, they call it de minimis uh, amount that was borrowed. Huh. Whether it's like a chord progression or a sentence from a book or a... Well, no, I, th I think a sentence from a book would be an easier call. But again, there's there's not a defining line. So at, at what point have they copied too much is, is hard to tell and very fact-specific. In what context was it used? Is it at the heart of the work? Is it like an important passage? Uh, if it's music, is it like the hook? Is it instantly recognizable? Has it been manipulated enough that you can't determine? So there's a lot of factors that go into that analysis. But the key takeaway is there, whatever you've read online, like, oh, yeah, uh, I've heard that if you just if you use under a 30 seconds, it's fine. That's not true. That's, that's, Basically, that's if you what start I wanted a sentence to spell. with I've heard, you're yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably right. Wow, man. Yeah. And the, the big takeaway is you have to have... Um, you have to have uh, assuredness that you own this thing that you have to really uh, cross your T's and dot your I's and, and make sure that all your paperwork and, and all that stuff all your ducks are in a row if you're gonna and it, because it, uh, ultimately it all comes down to the court battle it can and you don't ever want it to get that far you bring up a great point because really the first step in enforcing your intellectual property rights is to before you go register a copyright or trademark especially if you're working with anybody else is to sit down and figure out your rights in, in contract mm -hmm. so if you're writing with someone else to say is this a joint work are we going to split things 50 50 or you know 70 30 um you know with recording artists all the time they have a friend that pops in and hey i'm gonna lay down some piano whatever because I'm your friend and everything's copacetic until that band gets a record deal and all of a sudden piano guy is like, oh, they might be making money off this. Off and my piano licks. Off my piano, yeah. And so then they then there's a fight like, well, does he own some right to the composition? Do they exclusively own the rights? They think it was a work for hire. They didn't get anything in writing. So you, you want to avoid that fight. So right. 
just be cognizant when people are contributing, creating some sort of intellectual property that you set the boundaries up front. And you know, clients always say, well, they're, they're my friends, so I don't want to get things in writing. That feels formal. And I always say, well, if you want to stay friends, <laughs> then you need to get them in writing. This, right. is a, this is a, maybe not a prenup, but it's a... It's the equivalent. It's, it's the business similar. equivalent. It's a business I mean, if you're opening a hair salon yeah. or a restaurant or a fashion design place or whatever, uh, if you don't have that stuff down and things don't even have to go south, they just like one person, you know, I want to start a family. I don't want to be in business anymore. Or they do go south. You get in a fight and somebody wants to separate from the other person. How do you figure out? who owns what or it, it is it's, yeah it's you, you want to have that prenup. you want to have that escape plan in writing before you need it so mm -hmm. it makes transitions a lot easier with bands things like you know they get they think about the songs maybe but they don't think about like the name of the band and that right. there's so many lawsuits about things like that Good or man. you know like jefferson airplane jefferson starship that whole oh, debacle because the band broke up and somebody one of the band members wants to tour with the name and they say you're not really you know jefferson airplane i am or um beach boys i think had similar issues credence. yeah credence were brothers those guys yeah. were brothers yeah yeah see that's crazy so anyone can have a partnership agreement and ownership of the name of the partnership or the band in this case is something that you can determine is it one person is it shared is it if we break up it's gone nobody can use it you know it can be whatever you want but think about those things in advance because the name has value especially like you think about it on tour, if someone sees, you know, Beach Boys are coming, what does that mean to them? Who are they expecting right. on stage? Are they expecting Brian Wilson or are they Mike Love or, you know, both God, or neither? Please, Brian Wilson. <laughs> what? No Mike Love. I mean, yeah. these days, none of them, but whatever. <laughs> right. So there's value in it. And, uh, and then you have to be careful if you don't have the rights and how you're using it. So you might be able to say featuring Brian Wilson, formerly of the band Beach Boys, because that's just nominal that's just a using the name in a sentence but when you say beach boy is performing at this venue then you're using it as a trademark essentially right. to signify source who's who's providing the the services of entertaining you wow. at night so um yeah lots of issues to kind of deal with up front um and you know for for recording artists it's great to have this sort of thing if you want to get a record deal because the record labels don't want to get sued either right. and so they want to know that you have everything in line you've sorted out who's getting what and who owns what uh, make it cleaner for them so it makes you more attractive as a potential sign for sure and that transcends any any genre of art or any medium of art uh, or any medium of business that people are doing like having that stuff in writing having it clean and just state who gets who has what who has ownership over what and whose idea was what and what the percentage splits are so if things you know break up or if things catch fire and go crazy and and you're super successful everybody knows how much they're getting yeah and if and if you ever are presented with an opportunity to give those rights away, that's when you really need to get legal help and guidance because this is something that's really valuable to you. This is your asset, it's your bread and butter. Mm -hmm. And so if you're giving up your rights, for example, to a recording label, you wanna make sure you're getting what it's worth in return, that it's worth it to you to give that up. Or 
at the very least, look at the you know, people get really excited when they enter into agreement because maybe they're getting some money up front or there's a promise of opportunity. And that part of the contract is great, but also look for the termination clause. Look for if I want out or you don't do your job, what happens to my rights? Can I get them back? You know, make sure that needs to be in the contract, needs to be really clear. You also need to see how long you're committing to this contract. So maybe it's you get my rights, but only for one year. Maybe mm -hmm. it's more of a license. It's a temporary thing. Or if you don't actually release my album, I get them back. A lot of labels don't have that. They say, yeah, we'll um, support you, record an album for us. who's going to spend all this money. And then they say, you know what? This actually isn't what we're into anymore. I don't think this is going to sell. And it just gets shelved. Right. And you have to buy it back or fight for it back. Yeah. So look at the, you know, look at the exit plan, see how you get your, your rights back if you if you want them because they're valuable no matter what they are. And if somebody wants access to your work, you know, if you're a photographer and somebody wants to put your image on their website or whatever, you know, don't buy into the whole it's exposure. exposure. Yeah, no. yeah. This is the exposure you know, bucks. Yeah, this is your this is your product. This is what you're putting in the world and it's worth something. They want it. It's valuable. You know, you can find a fair price. Don't be embarrassed or to ask for that. Or timid you know? or yeah. scared. I think a lot of people get afraid. Well, this is my only opportunity. I need mm. this exposure. But the power company doesn't accept exposure bucks. That's right. The gas company, the mortgage company, all those people, like, they need real money. And you need real money. And you have value. And you have worth. And opportunities come up all the time it's not one and done i think that that that's really what uh frightened me a lot when i was a younger musician was i better take this because it might not ever happen again this might be it right you know and it's and come to find out that wasn't it it could and it, it might look like a good opportunity at first and then someone else with a more impartial view that's one thing that you know having a lawyer or even a manager a publicist is great to have someone else's perspective on things that maybe isn't as emotionally tied to it because it's not necessarily their work. Right. And they can say, well, like, from a legal point of view or a business point of view, here's the risk and here's what you're giving up, what you need to think about. And uh, also giving some perspective because if you've never seen a record deal before, you don't know what's common, what's exceptional, what's not, what's sort of usual practices. So it's nice to have somebody who's seen them all, who's been yeah. through it before to give you some perspective so you, you know what your leverage is and what you can ask for. And I just want to tie that into any business, an exit, an mm -hmm. exit strategy. If some bigger corporation comes in and wants to buy your product or your business idea or whatever, it's the same. It's the same. It's the equivalent of a band getting signed and, and you know, giving the rights to their music over to this record company. Um, you have to consult with some kind of professional. And fortunately, like we were talking about at the beginning, there are more resources affordable free sometimes resources available for people because i think you certainly like as a as a starving artist or a starving business person um your lawyer sounds expensive mm -hmm. consultant sounds expensive like you don't want to reach out to them but i think a, a simple google search or a just asking around or you know friend of a friend like uh consulting with people like you're saying somebody especially somebody impartial is invaluable this conversation is helpful because even if you just have the basic vocabulary if you know copyright yeah. trademark and you understand the difference it'll help you lead you to the right resources if you're trying to get some information because if you're trying to google like trademark my song or something you're not gonna get the information about royalty streams and 
performance rights that you need yeah. necessarily. And with all this, you know, you mentioned as a younger artist being, feeling timid about asking for payment. All these things we talk about, it's, it's important to remember that owning intellectual property, just like owning any business, costs money in the long run. I mean, it costs money to register your copyright, to enforce it, to market your music. And so you need to, to maximize the revenue streams and not be yeah. embarrassed. People feel like, oh, it's free to write a song, but it's actually not free to maintain a career as an artist. There are 100%. expenses. So you deserve, you deserve money for that work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Name your price and stick to it, people. Um, <laughs> all right. Last question, Michelle. Yes. Freshman Michelle, college freshman Michelle, what advice would you impart on her from what you know now mm. and all the things you've experienced? Wow. The music industry that I thought I was entering into at the time like doesn't exist anymore, so it's, a, it's kind of hard. Truth. But I think, I think I would impart the... The, I would relieve some of the stress of feeling like your career path is super linear and you need to make this decision right now or you're going to not be able to do step B. Amen. Because you just never know how yeah. opportunities are going to arise. And it's always unexpected. I would never have a million years thought that I'd be working at the University of Georgia and that ended up being such a great opportunity. Yeah or even starting my own law firm. So don't be afraid. It's kind of the same with artists, actually. I think all of life is like that. You feel like this is the one opportunity or I didn't get that job. Yeah. There was my dream job and now everything's falling apart. There's gonna be other opportunities. It's always gonna surprise you whenever you feel like you're stuck, something new's gonna happen. And sometimes you have to make your own opportunities. I really wanted to work in music PR and I was really frustrated because there was nobody hiring in like 2005, 2008 everything was falling apart and right. the music industry was particularly in a crisis and so I just rep I was like okay I'm gonna write a press release for my roommate's band and that's how I started my PR firm nice. so sometimes you just gotta you gotta start you gotta create an opportunity if one doesn't exist and also I think I would tell freshman Michelle that everyone who seems like they have their life together and is an expert they are just winging it like everyone else so don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't feel like everyone has the secret answer to life and you don't. Yeah. We're all scrambling and trying to do the best we can. We're so. all kind of a mess. We're, and we're all, kind all of just a mess. doing our best. Yeah. Yeah. Utilize some resources and others' expertise. And I think you'll find that it's the only way you can learn. That's excellent. Well, <laughs> we can't thank you enough for being here and speaking on this. I'm sure you've. Um, talk to many people about it and and uh at some point it gets exhausting repeating but but it was a really great conversation i'm no, glad no, that you came out i'm a total nerd for it and oh, nice. love talking about it no matter what so <laughs> awesome i enjoyed it thank you Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Clocked In Creative, brought to you by the University of Georgia here in beautiful Athens, Georgia. This episode was recorded at Hendershot's event space off Prince Avenue in Athens, Georgia. Go to HendershotsAthens.com to find out what we're up to. For more information on the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Clocked In Creative or go to our website, TheClockedInCreative.com. For more episodes, find us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, y'all, this is Seth Hendershot signing off. Remember to stay creative, stay humble, keep learning, and never give up. Bye, y'all.